Any possible question you have. No holds barred. Yes, sir. Wow, just, just a quick question. Um, how does it end up in, in the scriptures in Romans it says that the Jews will be brought back eventually again? How does that uh, how does that have anything to do with the this? The Jews can come back anytime they want. There's a certain school of theology that says they will all convert en masse at the end. This is not part of the magisterial teaching in the church. Why are the churches our enemies? Because they are enemies of Logos. Because they killed the Logos incarnate and they are in rebellion against Logos and they can reject that rebellion anytime they want. I'm talking about that passage in particular that says that they'll, they'll not do it. All Israel in the end come back. Yeah. I've asked Bob Sengenis about this. He's a scripture scholar. I'm not. He says it's simply not canonical. There's an interpretation of it that says it's going to be a mass conversion, but it's not magisterial. So it's going to happen. It'll happen when it happens. And that's that's all we can say about it. It can happen right now. It has happened now. I have, there are Jews who are now Catholics because they listen to my talks. I know who they are. Next question. Yes, sir. Um, that's funny you should say that because I listened to you and Bob Moskowitz, uh, uh, the Boston. Some gents. No, the, uh, the Boston, uh, the Jewish gentleman. Oh, Charles Moskowitz. Yes. Yeah. And uh, how close is he uh, to me? He's, he seems pretty uh, strong. No, I think he's in total denial. If, you, if you're on I can't tell you how frustrating it is to talk to Charles Moskowitz. I mean, if you've seen the videos, you know what I'm talking about. He said, well, I, I said, well, uh, uh, Bol Bolshevism was a Jewish woman. I, I deny that. I deny that. Okay, I know you deny it, but it's true. No, it's not true. Well, what about Trotsky? He's not a real Jew. Wait a minute. Who are you to say he was a real Jew or not? Are you the Jewish Pope? You're going to excommunicate? So I did the same thing with Jews and abortion. That's not true. Charles. 140 Jewish organizations said that Jew abortion is a fundamental Jewish not. That's not true. Well, who are you to disagree with 140 Jewish organizations? This is crazy. It's so frustrating. He just does not. So he's in total rebellion against Logos, and he's like fascinated with me. I don't know why. I mean, I did a show. The first show I did with him, it was just, I just... He just didn't know what to say, and so at the end, he just, uh, oh, I, I, I didn't post it because I forgot to press the record button. No, you didn't. You, you know what, you know. The so he's got to talk over me. He's got to do this, that, and the other thing. I don't know whether it's a waste of time or not. I hope it isn't. Yes, sir, anyone else? Yes, sir. Um, so I'm wondering, like, how do they explain it? This idea that abortion is a fundamental Jewish value, do they just assert it? Or is there reasoning, philosophy? Sure there is. Sure. First of all, yes, they do uh, simply assert it. But secondly, yes, they do have reasoning behind it. It is totally crazy. Absolutely crazy. So the best example, you can go from one rabbi to another. I forget, this is why we don't listen to rabbis. They make no sense whatsoever. And so the best example of this is this Jewish lady. It's on YouTube. Um, she, she's pregnant. Not only is she pregnant, she's due the next day. She pulls up her shirt, and there is her big tummy there, and she writes on her tummy, not a human yet. And then she explains to the reporter, well, uh, I'm, I'm Jewish, 
and according to Jewish teaching, it's not a human being until it takes his first breath. What? But what's in there then? I mean, there's something in it. Wait, I just saw it kick you. What is it? What's that thing there? This is crazy. You can't talk to people like this. And this, there should be consequences like Catholic Jewish dialogue. 50 years of wasted time and effort and all they've done is sell, give away the farm. Every time they talk to a Jew, there's one more doctrine that you have to give up in order to join the next discussion. There's no point talking to people like this. I think I'm, I'm saying, I'm trying to be charitable and trying to instruct the ignorant by talking to, it's a spiritual work of mercy, by talking to Charles Moskowitz, but it's incredibly frustrating because he, he has Jewish privilege and he knows it. And all he can say is, I reject that. You reject that Trotsky was a Jew? Did Trotsky know this? I reject it. He, he wasn't a real Jew. He was a left-wing Jew. <laughs> this is not going anywhere. Yeah, anyone else? Yes. Yes, sir, back there. Yeah. Um, how do you think that uh, abortion as a Jewish value uh, relates to other Jewish traditions and history like uh, infanticide in the context of bloodline? Yes, exactly. That's exactly what it is. You hit the nail on the head. So the blood libel is basically child sacrifice. The rabbis engaged in that. There's a whole chapter in the book, Jewish Revolutionary Spirit, on the trial that uh, St. John Capistrum took part in during one of his crusades. He was just dragooned. He was a famous guy. All right, you're going to sit on the trial. You're going to be the judge. And the, basically, the, the daughter of the rabbi came forward and testified against the father. said, yeah, they killed a child to take his blood. That's ritual sacrifice in the religion. St. Simon Trent is an example of that. He was taken off the calendar because you don't want to offend Jews. It goes back farther than that. It goes back to the time of the Old Testament when there was always rebellion against God among the Jews. They were, how long were they out of Egypt before they cre uh, created the golden calf? That is the story, apostasy is the story of the Hebrews. There was always a faithful remnant, but the majority, what did they do? They worshiped Moloch. And how do you worship Moloch? You kill your child. So these people that we're talking to who call themselves Jews are Moloch worshipers. They're saying it. I'm not saying it. They're saying it. It's your sacrament. You said it's a fundamental Jewish value. I didn't say that. Why are we talking? Why is the Catholic Church talking to Moloch worshipers? What good is going to come of that? What good has come of it? Nothing. Even the Vatican document, Dones, had to admit that Catholic Jewish dialogue was a failure after 50 years. So that means we really have to do it more now since it failed for 50 years. Yes, sir. So it's just really Baal, Baal worship. They're more like Baal worship, Satan worship, really. That's what these elite leaders talk about. Yes. I mean, that, that, that explains it to me. That's. Yeah, Mel Gibson said the same thing about Hollywood, right? Hollywood. He, he, he knows Hollywood. You know, he said that's what they do in Hollywood now. Yes, ma'am. Okay, so what is the truth about the Holocaust? If I'm, if I'm homeschooling my children, what, what do I tell them? What, what do I, how do I? You tell them to buy Wahrheit Machfrei, a history of the Holocaust narrative. It was written by E. Michael Jones and Charles Stanford, who is a legal scholar. So I cover the narrative part. 
one story, you know, I've told you some of the stories. The beginning of Billy Wilder, uh, Buchenwald, Ailey Wiesel, Yeshi Kaczynski, and so on and so forth. And uh, Stanford covers the legal angle, the trial, the Nuremberg trial, the Zundel trials. These are, this is all put together now, and this is the real history of what happened here. So basically, what, uh, sorry, all right. And you, have, you have to buy the book, have your kids read it, it's a great book, okay? But basically you say, look, did Jews get rounded up? Yes, of course they did, because they were Jews. And why did he do that? Because uh, Jews were communists, and, Jew, and Hitler had experience in Hitler, in Bavaria, right after World War I, when uh, the Jewish uh, uh, Bolsheviks took over the country and created the Soviet Republic of Bavaria. Eugenio Pacelli, who became Pius XII, was the nuncio. He went to the Pilsbach Palace and he wrote back to Rome saying, it's not Germans, it's all Russian Jews. And Daniel Jonah Goldhagen, David, uh, Daniel Jonah Goldhagen said, this is proof he was an anti-Semite. No, it's the truth. It was, and so this is how Hitler came to power because they feared these people coming. So, okay, you round them up. We're at war. We're round them up. We're going to put them in camps. What's, the, what's this sign over Auschwitz say, the entry? Arbeit macht frei. What does that mean? Work, well, section three. So what do you think they did there? They worked. That's right. It was a work camp. And there were factories around there, and they used Jewish, the Jews there as forced labor. And so at that point, you've got these people. You're trying to keep the workforce going. You've got a, 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 an orchestra. You've got a theater. You've got a swimming pool. You got your own money. Uh, you're trying to keep the workforce going because these are crucial to we're fighting a war. Okay, and as this is going on, the Allies are destroying, systematically destroying the infrastructure of Germany, which means we can't get food to the camps anymore. We, you're bombing the water supply. This is American terrorism. These are war crimes. The British and the Americans were engaged in war crimes. They felt the guilt and they had it projected onto the Germans. So what happens when everything's polluted? You get sick. Put all these people together, bad water supply, and they start dying by flies of typhus. And that's what happens. So the whole the, the story comes about because early on, we're talking about in the aftermath of the Jewish attack on the Tsar, the terrorist attack murdering the Tsar, the Jews are going to move out of Russia, they're going to America. To get to America, they have to go through Germany. So you're going from the hygienic conditions of the Middle Ages in the shtetl, where the Jews live, to the most advanced, hygienically advanced country in the world. This is where Koch formulated his postulates. This is where they knew how to fight diseases. So what happens when you get to the German border? They take you off the train. They, you, you have to take your clothes off and they march you into showers, okay? No one, no Jew has ever seen a shower. They don't know what it is. What, the, what is happening to my clothes? Where are my clothes? Well, they're being dis, uh, fumigated with Cyclone B gas because they need to kill the lice. These people are all infested with lice. They are carriers of typhus. They're so used to carrying typhus that they're immune to it. They're like typhoid Mary. They don't get sick from the disease that everyone else gets sick of. So they're, it's terrifying. I don't know what's coming out of there. And they conflate the gas in the water. And suddenly you've got gas coming out. And these are the stories that are circulating in London at this time because of 
the Polish government in exile is living in London, is in London, right next to the BBC. And the BBC starts generating these stories. That's where it comes from. Yes, sir. How do they all get on the same page with that narrative? It's called the New York Times. <laughs> do you read it? <laughs> then, then you're an ignorant fetus and you deserve everything you get. Why do you think we have newspapers? Why do we have Hollywood movies? Because this forms the mind, this forms a collective consciousness. And then it starts working all by itself. So at a certain point, so to, to jump ahead, 1993 is a crucial year because that's the year the Schindler's List comes out and also Debbie Lipstadt's term Holocaust denier. Well, it turns out, guess what? Steven Spielberg was a Holocaust denier. You didn't know that. Did you remember the scene? It's the obligatory, got ladies take off your clothes scene because it's part of the porn, uh, Holocaust porn film. They march the naked ladies into the chamber and guess what happens? What comes out of the shower heads? Water. Why well, you're a Holocaust denier? Denier. By saying that, that was the end. They did that because of the Zundel trials. Because the Zundel trials in Canada had made it impossible to maintain the gas chambers anymore. So once they can't maintain it, that's real. They make it a criminal offense to disagree with it, and that's what happened in Germany. That's what happened now. That's the Holocaust narrative. But you really need to buy the book. And make all your children read it twice. <laughs> How, I, have, I have grandchildren who went to a Catholic school, and uh, God knows what they learned, but I'll tell you what, they read A.D. Wiesel's Night, not once, but twice. Twice they read that. God knows what else they read. Paramore. <coughs> Shame. <laughs> what somewhere else? Yes. So is the uh, German racial purity idea and the final solution, are those actual, I mean, is that a narrative or is that a real thing? First of all, there is no final solution. There's no evidence of a final solution. Secondly, uh, German racism, yes, of course there was. Hitler, Hitler uh, comes to power, he's confronted with a fundamental fact in Germany, which is the division between Protestant and Catholic. So he tries to resolve it, he realizes, I can't resolve this. It's too deep-seated, and so I have to go beyond that, back to something that we all share in common, like Wagner, like Siegfried, like the Nibelungen. Okay, and that's so, pardon me. Was was the Nazis pagan film? Did they follow the German gods or something? Was that like I mean, Nazism was a pagan ideology because he couldn't he couldn't couldn't bring the Christians together. So uh, basically, so that's okay. All right, so great, sacred, so what? But that's not the end of the story. He needed a racial ideology. It's not in Wagner, but it is, guess where they do have a racial ideology that's in full charge? Well, it's the United States of America. And basically, the man who provided that racial ideology was Madison Grant, uh, who wrote uh, something about the method of, I don't know, anyway, I forget the name of this book. But anyway, Madison Grant, to his dying day, if you visited him, he would pull out this letter from Hitler, thanking him for giving him the racial ideology. So that's where it came from. The uh, Wilhelm Schmidt, a uh, great anthropologist, divine word priest, wrote a book on this, and he said, basically the Germans started using the word R-A-C-E. R-A-C-E starts showing up in German text. Nobody knows how to pronounce it. 
how do you pronounce that word? So they change it to brasa, and they start using it interchangeably with folk, which is the German word for ethnos. Race, at that point, he's talking about Theodore Roosevelt, he would say things like, well, the Irish race or the English race. What he means is ethnic group. But then it gets conflated with his, uh, the ideology of the South, the segregation, and so on and so forth. That's where he got it. Yes, sir. So, you know, I've been talking to some people about, about you know, Hitler lately, uh, and the whole, you know, I have some people uh, saying, well, he was, he was, he was ultimately politically the correct person for going after the Jews. Um, so the question is, you know, what do we make of him as a historical figure? And obviously, he was, make of his what? What do you make of him as a historical figure? Obviously, um, I'm, I have a Polish background, you know, I have a lot of family relatives who got, you know, a lot of things that are, I'm, you know, I have other people I know who kind of going along with the narrative for giving out the Holocaust, that it was, it was, it was, a, you know, it was a historical event, or not, do you say it was used to, uh, this political propaganda, but what do you think of him of himself? Or what do you think? Was he, was he doing, was he doing something, was he a flawed politician like all the rest, using racial things to this? Yeah, I mean, he was a disaster. He's the best thing the Jews ever found. I mean, if Hitler didn't exist, the Jews would have to create him. And they did create him. You have to keep this fundamental distinction in mind. There are categories of reality, and there are categories of the mind. So if you're talking about those dead bodies in Bergen-Belsen, that's a category of reality. They were there. People died. Jews were uh, uh, arrested. They were put in these camps. They suffered there. There was lots of suffering during World War II. That's absolutely true. We can't deny that. But when you start telling me, well, those people, they were gassed, well, that's the category of uh, the mind that needs to be proven, and it's, it, it's not. It's not going to fly. Well, I guess the question is, you know, there's people, you know, uh, you would say in the Williamson camp, who would say Hitler was a good man. I mean, was he a good man, or was he, was he a, you know, what, 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 what do you say of him as a, as a, was he someone who was confronting the Jews and the Jewish problem, or was he just another politician with the power? Why is that a, why are they mutually exclusive? But this is a man who could mobilize the entire German people, largely because of the experience the German people had after World War II. When the Jews took over Berlin, the Jewish, the Jewish communist threat, the communist threat to Europe in the 1920s was very real. And uh, it was the Poles who finally confronted when the Soviet army swept through Poland, they were planning to sweep through Poland, and just take over the entire all of Europe. And it was Piłsudski and the miracle of the Wisła that stopped them, okay? Uh, so it was a real threat. And these people knew that communism was, Bolshevism was a Jewish movement. It's true, it was. It's like neoconservatism today. Je Jeffrey Sachs just wrote an article attacking the neoconservative control over our foreign policy. He keeps using the word neoconservative. Don't you mean Jew? It's a Jewish movement. Well, no, because he's a Jew. So Jews never talk about Jews. They always talk about neoconservatives or something like that. It's in the Jewish magazine, Tikkun magazine. This is the fundamental, look, Hitler faced that problem. He did, he did things that shouldn't have been done, okay? 
But there was a real problem, and Germany had to face that problem. We are in the same situation. There's one man who understands this, and it's Vladimir Putin, who said basically what happened in Russia in 1917 is happening in the United States right now. In other words, a, Jew, a cabal of Jewish revolutionaries has taken over our government. That's why there's a war in the Ukraine. Who are the players in the war in Ukraine? Uh, Mr. Zelensky, the piano player. Uh, he's Jewish. Uh, put power by a man named Kolomoisky. He's a big Jew with a lot of money. Uh, the people who, the, the lady who orchestrated the coup d'etat in 2014 that put these people in power is Victoria Newland. She's Jewish. She's married to Robert Kagan, who is a big Jew in terms of influence. It's Jews from top to bottom, but we're not allowed to say this, are we? No, we're not allowed to say this. I'll give you a classic example. Newt Gingrich is on Fox News, and the info baby is saying, yeah, what about Philadelphia? Yeah, what about San Francisco? And he says, Newt says, it's those Soros prosecutors. And she says at this point, I'm sorry, we're not allowed to mention that name. What? <laughs> look, take a look at here, watch it. Take a look at Newt's face. This is Mr. Conservative. I'm the expert. You're asking me the question. He looks at her and says, What are you what are you what's going on here? Newt hadn't gotten the memo. You're not allowed to mention George Soros. Why are you not allowed to mention? We can't, if we can't connect the dots, we're going to lose because we can't identify the enemy. They are our enemies. Jesus Christ never said we wouldn't have enemies. He said we should love our enemies. I uh, aspire to that. Sometimes I fail, but I mean, that's what I try to do. That's what I try to do. Yes. You know, if you can help convert a movie theater, connect all the Jews as far as Hollywood goes, and how that tie into Weinstein, how that tie into Epstein Island, how does all that come together? Are you, are you alleging something like a conspiracy here? <laughs> are you an anti-Semite? <laughs> this is the type of thing we are not allowed to make these connections. So, okay, Jeffrey Epstein's first, first of all, the Jews were always involved in blackmail. The young aristocrat would show up in Paris, you know, he's got a big farm, not much money, the Jew immediately shows up and says, I'm going to show you a good time, boy. And so he takes him out, gets him involved in whores, squanders his money, don't worry, I'll lend you money. And now the guy's in bondage, and he's got the whole blackmail story. This is the way they control you. So this is Epstein. Epstein, okay? He's running a blackmail operation. You know who else did the same thing? Hugh Hefner, the Playboy Mansion. Playboy was run by Jews. He was a figurine. He was the, the token goy. So there's a document. Just had a documentary on Netflix on Playboy, the Playboy Mansion. And it comes in, and they're saying, hey, by the way, there are cameras in every single room. So why is that? And they ask Hefner, and Hefner says, oh, I just thought it would be interesting. Well, why did Hugh Hefner never go to jail for tra human trafficking, drugs? And well, because he had everybody on film. Well, that's exactly what Jeffrey Epstein did, and they had to murder him to keep that, that secret. Now, are we supposed to be stupid? 
I mean, I know, is, is stupidity a, a Catholic virtue? I sometimes think it is. Yes? So I'm looking towards the end game here. Uh, prophecies say that the Jews will accept the Antichrist as their Messiah, but that the uh, traditionally the Roman Empire has to fall before that. And I think the Jews understand that. So are, is the end game that the Jews are trying to destroy Western civilization in order to get the Antichrist in power? Is that Yes, I think that's true. First of all, I think the American Empire is going down. It's going to go down. So let's just pray that there's a peaceful end to the American Empire and we just go back to being a republic, which is what we should have stayed in the first place. Okay, but secondly, the Jews are haunted. There's a thought that just haunts the Jews, especially the Jews in Israel. And the thought is that no Jewish kingdom has lasted longer than 77 years. Now, I happen to be the same age as the state of Israel, which means they have three years left. <laughs> now, what some Jews are saying at this point is, we better hurry up and build the temple. We're going to have to tear down that mosque. There are people ready to dynamite the mosque and build the temple. They have actual Christians, crazy Christian Zionists, who are going to give them the dynamite to do it. Yeah, That's right. So, that's the, the fear. That's the specter that is haunting Israel right now. This something similar happened with the other Jewish kingdom. I'm talking about communism and the Soviet Union. Remember that Jewish kingdom? It lasted the length of a man's life. And then it disappeared. Remember? I remember people like Warren Carroll, the CIA agent who ran Christendom College, saying, we have to invade. This is never going to go away. And within two years, up, oh, it was gone. It was like Psalm 37. Read Psalm 37 at some point, where it says, last time I walked, they were strong, and they were like this, towering like the cedars of Lebanon. They were so powerful, they were never going to go away. And the next time I walked by, they weren't there. That's what happened with Cyrus in the reverse of it, which is basically God punished the Jews uh, until the punishment ended, and it was around seven years, and suddenly Cyrus said, okay, go back. Rebuild your temple. It's over. That was Cyrus working as an agent of God in human history. Everybody knows that. And I think we have to keep this in mind, okay? There is a God up there who has a plan, and it looks as if the plan is he gives the eagle people the lifespan of a man. Three score and ten, something like that. And then you've had your chance to do this evil, and now it's over. Now the big question is, it's in Vico, and if you read Logos Rising, everybody should buy Logos Rising, because I deal with this idea of Vico trying to make sense of history. He talks about the Recorso. These empires are human things, they rise and they fall. They're like human beings, they get old and they die. And that's what Roman Empire happened, the Roman Empire collapsed, and something better took its place called the Holy Roman Empire. And that was the way he saw God operating in human history. The question is, are these empires savable? I don't think so. I think the American empire had its day. I think it's over. I think I pray for an end. I said this in Mashhad, in Iran. I said it to Phil Giraldi, the CIA agent who was there. I said, Every, everybody, I am saying, I am praying for a peaceful end to the American empire. And any, does any American disagree with me here? 
and nobody said anything. Because that's what, why are we at war with Iran? Why are we supposed to hate Iran? Because the Jews don't like Iran. And you're a bad person if you don't hate the people that Jews hate. Yes, sir. Okay, I realize many people genuinely do not know, but nonetheless, I've also met, I'm sure everyone here has, many, many otherwise devout Christians who would not lie on anything in their lives except these issues, and even giving benefit of what doubt remains on this issue, it's as if they think, this is the one exception, this is the one valid exception to thou shalt not lie, I can lie on this, I can call you crazy conspiracy and I can do this obstinately for years, and I'm still a good Christian. How have Christians been convinced that this is the one exception to thou shalt not lie? And I'm still a good Christian, even if I lie in this. How is it? Uh, okay, is, have you heard of uh, the public school system? Have you heard of Hollywood? Have you heard of the publishing industry? Have you heard of the New York Times? You have virtually the most powerful media machine in human history shouting this at you every day of the year. And if you didn't get it then, you're, uh, I have a, uh, an FBI agent called me uh, uh, just a day ago. Uh, not so, I've already been interrogated. This is a guy, a friend of mine, who said basically the agency is controlled by Jews. That's what he's telling me. So what do we do about it? Well, uh, we're going to have to confront uh, confront the issue. So, why is it surprising? And so, why am I mentioning this FBI guy? The first thing he did, the first thing he had to do was an FBI agent. Before they even gave him a badge or uh, the, the key to get into the building, do you know what it was? Take a wild guess. What did he have to do? Uh, hmm? Sign No. <laughs> That's congressman. <laughs> what did he have to do? He had to <laughs> No, what did he have to do? He had to go to the Holocaust Museum. So he goes to, he has to pay $18 to go to the Holocaust Museum, and the first thing out of this chick's mouth who's leading the tour is the Catholic Church has persecuted Jews for their entire existence. He said, well, wait a minute, I'm a Catholic. Well, I'm sorry, but that's the truth. Well, can you name a, a, a Catholic? No, it's, it's, it's true, and that next, next question. In other words, it's you as a Catholic FBI agent have to go to the Holocaust Museum and have these people spit on your religion. Now, the FBI was always a hotbed of Catholics. Notre Dame, it was full of Notre Dame grads because they're they, they became uh, progressively stupider the longer they stayed at Notre Dame. And by the, finally, the time they graduated, I hope I don't offend any Notre Dame graduates. Uh, by the time they graduated, they were incapable of rational thought. And that's when the FBI hired them. Because basically their job was to take orders. So what's he done? So he's got a case. I got this case. They, they're looking around. It's this fraudulent company uh, in, in Norway. This got a factory in India that's making water facing pills, and they're bringing it back to the United States, and they're violating all these laws by doing this. He takes it to a superior, who is a Catholic with six children, and the superior said, "This is a great idea. Let's move forward." And who do they send it to? They send it to the legal department, and guess who uh, staffs the legal department? 
it's Jewish lawyers and they say no. Because abortion is a Jewish sacrament. They're not going to do, do anything. Do you think Merrick Garland's going to do something about abortion? No. They believe that it's, 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 it's a religious issue with them. And so as a result, nothing's going to happen. And so what you're seeing here is this resentment that is now building up among a largely Catholic population where all they're doing is, is shut down and being used as proxy warriors to fight Jewish battles. He's not the first guy. He's not the first FBI agent who told me that. Yes, sir. So, there's this weird, I want to know what you think about the weird dichotomy in Ukraine, where you have a Jewish Zelensky and the Azov Battalion, who apparently are Nazi, very strong comrades and all that. And then you have Russia fighting the Nazis, but the media calls the Russians Nazis, while Putin calls Azov Nazis, even though Zelensky is Jewish. It's, it's very strange. It's complicated, isn't it? <laughs> Well, first you have to make a distinction. So when the, the ADL jumped on this, so you have to make a distinction between good Nazis and bad Nazis. <laughs> and if the, if the Nazis are fighting on the side of Victoria Nuga, they're good Nazis. <laughs> and you, if you want to uh, protect the statue of St. Louis in St. Louis and are praying the rosary, we'll call you a Nazi even though you're not because we don't like you. It's completely meaningless. If everything, anything blew up this charade, it's the Ukraine. The classic example of God working in human history, the cunning of reason. The list just happened yesterday. What, check out the Zelensky Vogue photo shoot. <laughs> You've got the most powerful media organization in the world. You got the best Jewish photographer in the world. You got makeup artists. You got everything you need, and it blew up in their face. You know why? Because Zelensky showed up in his olive drab T-shirt. Oh, this is crazy. What's this white? They have long description. She was wearing a Ikru silk shirt with a black velvet tie that matched perfectly her castle, and he shows up with a. An olive drab t-shirt? You can wear that thing for, for months now. <laughs> so there they are, he's in his olive drab t-shirt and they're putting makeup on him. Oh, wait a minute. This blew up everybody. Everybody jumped on this. So it did the exact opposite of what you intended. You being Vogue and the Jews who are running the Ukraine, you made a fool out of yourself. If we don't jump on this, we deserve to lose. God handed this to us on a silver platter. This is the signs of the times. Yes, sir. So the, um, I've, I've also heard that like a lot of the bad guys after World War II went to Ukraine and started, they started basically this globalist thing really kicking up the Ukraine back in the 50s. Is that right? Can you they, they, the Jews didn't have to go to the Ukraine. They were in the Ukraine. The Ukraine is basically the Babel of the Settlement. The Ukraine was never a country until 1991, which was basically created because of the fall of communism. So the Jews were always there. That's where Jews came from. Kiev, places like that. That's the pale of the settlement. Yes, sir. Uh, take a few steps back. Uh, you mentioned Carlo, uh, Carlo from Germany, who was created for many the Germans. Um, would you be able to speak, I don't know if all people are familiar with uh, Western Bishop, 
the guys just want to get home. I just want to get home. And there are SS units going around capturing these people, these guys. There's no unit anymore. They capture the guy, they line him up against the wall, and they say, you're guilty of what I just said, final food, which is desertion under fire. So what's the German do? He stands there and he says, Heil Hitler, and they shoot him. Well, that's what the Germans are doing right now. They're saying, Heil NATO. And, and they're shooting themselves. This is, so I'm going to tell you this. It's not, it's not a complete fantasy, but what should have happened? What happened when Pope John Paul II became Pope? 1979, June of 1979, he goes to Warsaw. He says a mass that attracts a million people in an officially atheistic, communistic country. And the soldiers who are supposed to enforce this regime are crying tears because they're Polish patriots. And he touched that court. The result was the fall of communism. Who is his successor? It's Joseph Ratzinger. Now, I know because of inside information that Cardinal George told people that the cardinals elected Ratzinger to deal with the German problem. What's the German problem? Well, it's the Holocaust, isn't it? He knew, the church knew that the German people were absolutely crippled by a guilt that they should not, shouldn't have to acknowledge. You are not guilty of a, a sin because your father was, uh, or your grandfather was a conductor on a train that uh, drove by Auschwitz. You're not guilty. And so what should have happened? The Pope went to Munich, just as uh, John Paul II went to Warsaw. He had a mass. There were two million people there. At that point, he should have said, I am putting an end to the Holocaust narrative. This is what happened. This is what did not happen. You no longer have to feel guilty for something you didn't do. You being people who weren't even born at the time this happened. Now, if he had said that, he would have broken the law. Because the law came into effect in 1993, around that time. And that would have been the best thing that ever happened to the church. Because as Napoleon, I think it was Napoleon who said, qu'il mange, il pape, il meurt. He who eats the Pope dies. And he knew, because he tried to eat the Pope. And so if the German government had tried to eat the Pope, they would have died. Either way, it would have, it's a, what we call a win-win situation. If they had arrested the Pope, it would be the best thing that ever happened to the German people and the German nation. If they didn't arrest him, they were admitting, we're not going to enforce the law anymore. It would be perfect. And he didn't do it. Didn't do it. And in a sense, the Holocaust that he didn't confront then came back to bite him and destroy his papacy. One more question. You talked a little bit about the history of Jews and Jewry, because um, I've heard like some countries invite them in because of their services and others you know, take them out. No, it's, it's the same thing. If you talk, this is in my book, Baron Metal. You should all buy Baron Metal. It's only 1,800 pages long. It's the whole story of labor and usury. The point here is that we're talking about uh, principalities in Europe in the Middle Ages would invite the Jews in because the Jew would lend the prince money at 6%, which is unheard of. 
But the condition is you have to allow me to lend everybody money and I'm going to charge them 43 and a third percent. So you're never going to get out of debt. And at a certain point, so the prince that invited him in is confronted at some moment and saying, the Jews uh, uh, have created debt slavery for the entire nation. And wait, there's a whole group of people with pitchforks and they're heading toward the Jews' house and they burned the Jews' house down because that's where the records were about the debt. So that's exactly what happened in England. It happened in every country. The prince invites them in, everybody goes into debt, you can't pay the debt back, the people rise up, and they have to expel the Jews. Yes? How do you know that we're leaving? How do I know, how do I know you're not a double agent? <laughs> okay, let me just let it See me after the show, honey. <laughs> Any other questions? All right, thanks very much.